Actually, it's really great to be with you guys today. Um, last week we missed because we had um, that ice storm, and so it's really good to be back with you. Um, we don't normally shut down for ice. Um, that's that's norm normally a thing. We're, we're uh, pretty slow to close church. We think this is important. We want to be here. Um, so we were a little slow last week to do that. Um, I have a brother-in-law that um, he, he owns a heating and air conditioning business, and he always says, safety third. So, you know, so some people say safety first, but he's like, you know, i got to run a business, make a profit, so safety's third. I'm a little bit bent that way, you know, I'm like, it's just ice, we can make it. So last, last week I got out and drove a little bit in the morning, and I thought, okay, this is actually genuinely dangerous. So, so we decided to, to cancel last week, but good to be with you today. Um, would you guys join me as we go before the Lord in prayer? Um, Father, we are, are so greatly privileged to come before you and to bless your name, Lord, to, to sing praises in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, thank you for your great love extended to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the, the privilege we have of being able to know you through him. Lord, thank you for the, the great privilege we have as a church to, to meet weekly, freely, Lord, in this country, freely come together and worship you, Lord. Thank you for the, the opportunity we have to meet here in this school. Um, and thank you, Lord, for Ray Reynolds Middle School and for Pasco School District, and I, I pray that, um, Lord, as you have blessed us, we might be a blessing to them. Um, Father, I pray for the, the teachers and the administrators here in this building, Lord, that, that if they don't already, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, I pray for the many kids that come through here on a weekly basis. I pray that you would lead them to faith in Christ. And, uh, Father, help us to know what practical ways we can be um, a blessing to this school here. Father, I thank you for the, the many other churches in this town, Lord, that you have um, really given us the great privilege of being partners with, Lord, in this, this, um, this great task, this, this great privilege of carrying forth the gospel and making disciples, Lord. I pray that you would bless these other churches, Lord, that, that we are um, so privileged to partner with, Lord, uh, bringing unity, um, bringing your good purposes to pass in each one of these churches. And Father, I pray that you bless our time this morning as we go to your word, as we consider what you would have for us today. Um, give us open hearts, Lord, that we might hear from you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so our um, scripture this morning is Luke chapter 3, and it's verses uh, 21 and following. And so if I could ask you guys to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and following. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, 
the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Meath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semein, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Tosim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Maleah, the son of Menah, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Ezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> so, uh, you know, normally we would have someone else read the scriptures, but we thought we won't do that somebody. So, um, thank you. You just have to be bold. You just read it like you know it, you know? So, I don't know. Um, you know, when we read the Bible, um, the, those first couple verses there talking about Jesus' baptism. Um, I think, you know, we're used to watching movies and videos and, and things that kind of play it all out for us so we get to, to visualize what's going on there. And we're not used to using our imaginations as much um, because normally TV does that for us. Um, sometimes it's really helpful to have a little bit of holy imagination as we go to the scriptures and put ourselves into the story. And so I want to do that here together for us this morning. Um, I, I want you to, to put on your imagination caps, if that's a thing, and, and go with me into this, okay? So we're in the wilderness of Judea, and in that climate, it's pretty hot and dry. It's a little bit like Tri-Cities here in the summertime, and so it's, it's kind of a hot, dry day. We've, we've made this long trek out into the wilderness, along this dry and dusty roads so here, feet are dirty, and we've come down to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is not a huge river. It's, it's quite a bit smaller, actually, than the Yakima River. It's, it's maybe 30 or 40 feet across at this point. And there's lots of trees growing along the banks, and, and it provides some nice shade from the hot sun. You might hear some cicadas buzzing in the background. And on this particular day, there are hundreds of people standing at the side of the river. And they've come here to listen to this man, John. Now, John is an interesting fellow. Um, he's clothed in camel's hair, wearing a leather belt around his waist, and he speaks loudly with great conviction about the need for people to repent of their sins. And even though he looks a little bit like a homeless man, everybody is just enraptured, and they are just listening to every word he says. In fact, a lot of the people this day, in fact, all of the people this day, are getting baptized by John, including a man named Jesus. 
And so Jesus goes down to the water to be baptized by John, and at first John is taken aback. Um, if you read in Matthew's account of this, Matthew's gospel, um, John says, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So after a little bit of persuasion, Jesus convinces John that this is the right thing to do, and this is when it gets interesting. So immediately after John baptizes Jesus, you know, Jesus is still dripping wet. He prays to the Father, and then, then it happens. The, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven, coming down looking like a dove, in the appearance of a dove, coming down like a dove, and it comes to rest on Jesus. And at this point, the sky seems to split open, and there's this voice that says, You are my beloved Son, with you. I am well pleased. John's there, and he hears the whole thing. And uh, it's, it, never, it never leaves him. You know, he, he hangs on to this moment um, forever from that point forward. And for anyone who knows the Jewish scriptures, who knows the, the Old Testament Bible, this was a huge moment. And so this morning we're going to look at Luke's account of this. And, and it's interesting, Luke's account is a little different than what you read in the other Gospels. Luke just barely mentions the baptism of Jesus. Oh yeah, you know, some people got baptized and Jesus was there with them. And then, and Luke focuses all of his attention on this announcement from heaven and what's going on there. And what we see in this is an amazing glimpse of the identity and the mission of Jesus. And that's what we're gonna focus on this morning, is the identity and the mission of Jesus. Um, one, one more piece of background before we kind of dive into this passage. Um, it's just a question that I think that lingers with all of us. Why did Jesus need to get baptized? Okay, Last week we talked all about John's baptism of repentance. And there were two words that I used, right? Repentance and identification. That was two weeks ago. Last week we stayed home because we had ice. Two weeks ago. Um, repentance and identification. And the repentance part was turning away from sins because this was the renewed people of God. This is, this is Israel turning back to the Lord. And so Jesus doesn't need to repent. That's why John objects to it. Why do you need to come do this? I, I would need to do this with you. Um, Jesus, we also find out from the rest of the scripture, the rest of the story, Jesus is sinless. He doesn't need to repent of his sins. But the second part is what Jesus is doing. He's identifying with this people, this renewed people of God, in support of this kind of revival movement that John the Baptist is leading. And so Jesus is identifying himself with those followers and is right in the midst of that that this announcement from heaven comes. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So, so let's talk about the identity Jesus said, and what this means. And the first thing I want you to see is that this, this shows us that Jesus is completely unique. Okay, now, uh, we're used to, you know, we've got 2,000 years of history, so we're used to thinking of Jesus as the Son of God. This was a new concept for them, and this wasn't something that was, like, emphasized through the Old Testament, like, yeah, that guy's the Son of God, he's the Son of God. That This is a new thing for them. And so um, 
There, there's really only two contexts in the Old Testament where anybody is referred to as a son of God. Okay? So the first one is the nation of Israel as a whole. It's only a couple times that the nation of Israel, God says, you are my son. Okay, so let me, let me read two of these for you. Um, so Exodus chapter 4, um, God is calling upon Pharaoh to release the people out of Egypt, to release Israel. And he says this, he says um, to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. Okay, so God is speaking of the nation as a whole, as his son, that he wants to be released. Um, later in Hosea, God says again, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, it's interesting, in the New Testament, that, that little phrase there gets applied to Jesus, right? Jesus is fulfilling, in a greater sense, this idea that there is a son for God. Now, as God's son, Israel was supposed to look like their father and supposed to represent God before the nations. And we know that that didn't go and so there's one other context. Okay, so the first context where you talk, talk about this idea of a son of God is the nation of Israel as a whole. But then the other context is related to this idea of a coming Messiah, this anointed king who was going to come and set all things right. So um, in that context, we come across this passage, and, and this should be a familiar one. Um, this is 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm going to read just a few verses here where the Lord speaks to King David and makes this promise. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. Okay, so you get the image here. David is going to eventually die. He's going to have a son. That son's going to be king. And so it's this idea of kind of this dynasty that's going to continue on. This son, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But then it gets interesting, because he says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there's that phrase in there, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And it's referring to this, this king from the line of David who will come and represent God before the people. But then there's, there's a hitch there, isn't there? There's a little bit of a catch, and that is that many of the sons of David didn't do this well. They, they did not represent God. And so um, what we find here is that there is yet a future son of David, descendant of David, Messiah, who's going to live this out well. Okay, so look at, we connect the dots over in Luke chapter 1. Verse 35, the angel comes and appears to Mary and says, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most 
high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Okay, so this, this child born of Mary is the son of God. And, and what we see here is, is big picture. Think about this in the big picture sense. God creates Adam and puts him in the garden. And Adam is made in the image of God to represent God and to rule this world for God, on behalf of God. But that doesn't go well. So then God forms a nation, Israel, who is going to be to him like a son, who will represent him and rule and lead, representing him in this world. But that doesn't go well. And then God promises that there will be a Messiah, this descendant of David. And for a long time, that doesn't go well until the, the true anointed one, the Messiah, the one that is expected, does come and does represent God perfectly. And so this, this is a, a totally radical concept for the Jewish people, and it seems like they just never wrap their, their minds around it. Um, John 5 um, tells us, um, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They just couldn't recognize what this meant. And let's be honest, if anyone else called themselves the Son of God, it would have been blasphemy, except that Jesus actually is. He actually is the Son of God. And so, you know, we, what we see in this, not only is his identity completely unique, but he has this amazing relationship with the Father. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And I think every parent, at some level, can relate to this. I mean, sure, there's days, right? Like, you know, but but you love your child, and you have this amazing relationship between the father and his son here. And then we get to the genealogy. We're going to go step by step through this genealogy. We're not going to do that. Um, but in the genealogy, you see a couple things that point to the identity of Jesus as well. But the first thing is this little throwaway comment here. Um, he was, Jesus was the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. So why, why, is, why is that there? Why, why does it have to say, well, I mean, supposedly he's Joseph's son? Well, it's what we read earlier, right? He's actually born of Mary, who's a virgin, who never had relations with Joseph up to that point. And so and what we're recognizing is that he is not literally the son of Joseph. He may be legally the son of Joseph in that culture, in that context, but literally he is the son of God. God chose to create Jesus in the womb of Mary. Um, but then you get to the end of this, and I was talking with somebody here earlier this week. Um, you get to the last verse, verse 38. You know, it's going through this genealogy, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Okay. Just want to point out, this is a completely unique genealogy. Nobody ever ends with the Son of God at the end of their genealogy. Um, usually it actually goes in flipped order. It starts with, you know, Adam had this son, begat, begat, begat. This one's in reverse order, and it's working backwards, and it gets all the way to the Son of God, which is a weird statement, right? Isn't that a strange statement? Um, it implies a very special relationship between Adam and God. Um, and one thing that's worth pointing out here, I don't usually like to bring out the Greek, but it is helpful here. Um, 
This doesn't actually say in the Greek, the son of this person, the son of this person. What it says is of this person, of this person, of this person, of, 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 down the line. Now, it's a genealogy. So, it, I mean, it makes sense to, to translate it as the son of, the son of, the son of. But when you get to the end here, what it's saying is of Enos, of Seth, of Adam, of God. Okay? And so the emphasis isn't necessarily that Adam is literally the son of God as Jesus is. The emphasis is actually more on the idea that Jesus is connected not just to some of these other, you know, these, these heroes of the past and, and these important figures like David and Abraham, but Jesus' connection goes all the way back to Adam, which, which emphasizes he's, he's one of us, right? That's the idea. He is one of us with humanity, and all of us are from God. Our, our original source is from God. And so Jesus is able to relate to us, and yet there's that, that hint. There's something more here, right? There's something more going on. And so there's this idea that we have this, this commission from God to represent him on earth. Adam is from God to represent him. And all of humanity is from God to represent him. And we finally get to Jesus who does it. And so Jesus is the Son of God in just a completely unique way. He's one of us. He's linked to all of us through this common genealogy, but he's unique. There's something more. So that's his identity, and it's really it's beautiful. But I want to talk about, most of our time, I want to talk about his mission. Because there's some big-time foreshadowing going on in this statement. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll miss it. So, you know, um, through the Old Testament, there's all these promises and patterns pointing ahead to Jesus. And some of these are just, like, really explicit. So, you know, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah, he's a descendant of David. These, these are just direct promises. But there's other things that are a little more subtle, and sometimes we miss them. And that's because we don't know the Old Testament scriptures the way they do. Um, we've been raised on movies. And so we can, like, quote movie lines like nothing, right? So you hear a movie line, you know immediately where that's from. So may the force be with you. Where is that from? Star Wars. Okay, good. Um, if I said, my precious. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Okay, you got that one. Um, inconceivable. <laughs> Princess Pride. Okay, thank you. If I said, to infinity and beyond. Toy Story. Okay, thank you. Um, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Wizard of Oz, okay. You know the Wizard of Oz is from 1939, and we can still quote that line? I'll be back. I said, I'll be back. Terminator, yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so we get these references. We just, like, know the point. We don't even, like, if I say to infinity and beyond, like, it probably evokes some images for you, right? When they heard Old Testament references, they just got it. Because they grew up with these things. They knew the Old Testament. And unfortunately, we've had ourselves indoctrinated by movies and Hollywood and stuff. Um, they were able to look back at these examples. And they may not have gotten it at, the, at that exact moment. But later, they were able to see, oh, that's connecting over to this thing. 
And so what I want to share with you is three examples from the Old Testament, three scenes that really were foreshadowing, that were pointing ahead to Jesus. Okay, so the first one is going to be Psalm 2. Okay, and you're going to read this and you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's, that's maybe what was going on here. So Psalm chapter 2. And I'm just going to read through this and then and talk about it for a couple minutes. Um, Psalm chapter 2 says this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on side in my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Did you catch the connection there? You have this anointed one. Anointed one is what Messiah means. So you have this anointed one, the Messiah, who will also, verse 7, is the Son of God, who will rule over the nations with a rod of iron. And so what we see is some foreshadowing in Psalm 2 that shows up when God says, you are my beloved Son. And so anybody who knew Psalm 2, who knew their Old Testament well, and heard that statement, would have thought, wait a minute. Something significant is going on because this this term that this this title son of God was connected to this king who would come and rule over all the nations of the whole earth and that's what's being described of Jesus um, Luke actually draws out this point you know we're in Luke chapter 3 in the very next chapter verse 18 418 this is what Jesus says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him because God has anointed him. When did God anoint Jesus? Well, it's actually right here, isn't it? It's at the moment of baptism. The Spirit of God comes down upon Jesus. This is the moment when God is anointing him. He is bestowing his Spirit on him and saying, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And so this is the moment right here at the baptism when Jesus is anointed. Um, we actually find the same thing over in Acts 10. Um, where he says, uh, I believe this is 
Paul speaking. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so the Spirit's anointing is on Jesus to give him power and enablement, but it's also as a confirmation. This is the God. This is the one you've been looking for. This is the one you've been waiting for. Um, you know, we're, we're entering into a presidential cycle with fear and trepidation. And um, as we enter into this presidential cycle, one of the big things that happens is political candidates get endorsements, right? And those endorsements are supposed to help them get votes and, and ultimately to help give them um, support once they're in power. Um, Jesus, you could view this as Jesus's endorsement, but it's not endorsement from just some other political leader. This is an endorsement from God himself upon Jesus. Jesus is being endorsed as the Messiah, the anointed one who will rule over the nation. So that's, that's one piece of portion. There's, there's more. I'll give you another one. Another one is that Jesus is the servant of God who will suffer in our place. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Isaiah talks a lot about this servant who's coming. And you hear all sorts of imagery about it. But this is what he says in Isaiah 42, 1. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Did you catch the connections there? So this is the one that God delights in. This is the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit upon him. And so there's this connection, this imagery that's pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus is the servant that is described here. So again, Isaiah, you know, he keeps bringing up this imagery of, of the servant. And then you get over to a passage that, that many of us know pretty well. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, follow Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance as formed beyond that of the child, children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the servant, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his, with his wounds we are healed. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of this servant. And who is this servant? It's the one whom the Lord delights in who has the, the Spirit anointing upon him. 
And so again, this is, this is imagery that they probably didn't initially get until later, but they really realized later, wait a minute, we have this connection there to this servant. And you remember what God said? He said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and the spirit descended on him. Okay, one more example. Um, Genesis chapter 22. We're going way back. We're in the way back. Genesis chapter 22. And so you remember this is the story of Abraham. And Abraham has kind of a rough go of it. He's, he's the father of faith, and it was a bumpy ride of his, his exercising, living out his faith. But we get to the end of the story, and Abraham has this amazing moment of faith because God asks him to do something really crazy. And he does. And so Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now that's a crazy thing that God asked him. And we know the rest of the story, that Isaac willingly goes. Isaac carries the wood up the hill for the offering. Isaac asks, where's the animal we're getting ready to sacrifice? Fair question. And, um, and Abraham says, God's going to provide it. It'll be okay. <laughs> Some non-answer. And, and he gets up there. And then Isaac is a willing sacrifice because we find old man Abraham holding up a knife over young Isaac laying there, choosing to allow himself to take this. And the imagery is just, I mean, it just blows your mind, right? The imagery here is pointing ahead to the perfect son, the, the son, the only son, the one whom I love, God would say. And he, he takes Jesus to this, actually the same mountain for the sacrifice. And so you have this just amazing imagery of a foreshadowing from the Old Testament pointing ahead. And so when you get to Luke chapter 3, man, man, he says this, you know, we miss it because we've grown up on movies instead of the, the Old Testament here. But, but um, you know, we, we miss the imagery here of Luke chapter 3 when he says, um, all the people were baptized, and Jesus had also been baptized. He's praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. There's so much behind this. Jesus is the anointed king, he's the suffering servant, he is the perfect sacrifice. The whole story, the whole plan of salvation is wrapped up. We get just a glimpse of it right here, of this amazing mission of Jesus. He's the king of kings. He's the ruler over all the nations of the earth. Every person on planet earth owes their full allegiance to him. Kiss the sun. We all owe our allegiance to him. And yet, every one of us has this problem of rebellion against the sun. Every one of us has sinned. And Jesus, the perfect servant, comes along and carries that load for us, carries our sins upon himself as this perfect sacrifice. He goes up on the mountain and takes it upon himself. 
In Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is an amazing thing that is just being foreshadowed here, this glimpse ahead of who Jesus is and what he is going to do for us. There's one more thing. Um, one more thing that I want to point out in all of this here in Luke 3. And, and I think it's really important, and, and it's that doctrine matters. Theology matters. Um, you know, uh, when, when Kim and I were first uh, dating, we talked and talked and talked. You know, we, we would, you know, talk on the phone. We'd go on dates. We'd just sit there and talk for hours about whatever it is that we were talking about. You know, each other off, cut each other's eyes. She was so impressed with me. And I was like, um, no, we would just talk and talk. And, um, you know, then then for about uh, 10 months or so, we were we got engaged, and then she was finishing school, and I was living out in Colorado working in a church, and she was out there. And um, those were the days before texting. We're really old. So these were the days before texting and social media. Um, this was before before cell phones. So um, back then, young people probably don't know this, but back then, long distance phone calls were expensive. And so we couldn't just pick up the phone and talk. So we would write these long emails. So I have this long book of, of emails that we wrote back and forth to each other that year. And all the things that we said to each other, which, yeah, would probably be just terrifying to read now. Um, but. Um, why did we do that? Why did we spend so much time talking to each other? Well, it's because we liked each other, and we really wanted to actually get to know each other. Kim wasn't just some girl. Kim was the, the one that I loved, that I really wanted to know, and know deeply. What's the, what's the greatest commandment we're giving as, given as Christians? To, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So something about Jesus, yeah, plus enough. No, no, like we're supposed to actually know about God and who God is. And God is different than us. There's some ways that he's the same, similar, but God is also different than us. God exists, well, well let me read from our doctrinal statement. We believe there is only one true God who has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one in essence, equal in power and glory, having the same attributes and perfections. You know, the trend these days is to like really minimize the details. Something about God, I had a professor that called it the God blob. You know, you've got something about Trinity mixed up in there, but it's, it's the God blob, you know, and, and Father, thank you for dying on the cross for us. No, he didn't do that. Um, but, you know, just kind of blending all the stuff together. But there are three distinct persons, and we get a glimpse of that in this passage. That's why I'm bringing this up. We get a glimpse of that here, where the Father remains in heaven, and the Father sends the Spirit, and the Father makes this declaration. And the Spirit descends from heaven to anoint Jesus, and the Spirit's going to empower Jesus in his ministry. And Jesus receives the Spirit, and Jesus ultimately will carry out the mission of the Father that God, has, God the Father has for him. And so we have one God, and yet in this story we get these three distinct persons. 
And so it's not like one God who put on a mask for a while and he's going to like be this person and he's going to put on a different mask. Now this is one God who exists as three persons and it matters. Why does it matter? Well, because this is who God is. And we actually love this God. And this, this is part of what it means to be a Christian is, is understanding this is who God is. And we, we don't always know how to wrap our brains around the Trinity, right? This is a hard concept, but but yet God has expressed himself in this one. So don't be afraid of theology. I guess that's my point. Is you come to a passage like this, and we let the Bible speak. We let the Bible present who God is. And this is how the Bible presents him to us. Um, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is the beloved son. He is the one who is well-pleasing to the Father. Um, in just a moment, BJ is going to come and lead us in communion. Um, but before he does, would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we just want to come before you and thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the anointed King, who is the suffering servant, who is the perfect sacrifice. Lord, I pray that if there's any in this room that have not put their faith and their trust in Jesus, Lord, that today would be the day. And God, I pray that every one of us would grow in our knowledge of you, Lord. Help us to, to love you with all of our mind, Lord, and, and, and really consider what your word has to say about who you are. Father, may we grow in our appreciation of Father.